podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Zero Pucks Given 2.0. We are not back sort of full-time just yet. We won't be back full-time weekly until September. But I wanted to get uh, a little episode done in between the season, just before it all starts kicking off, really. Uh, It was going to be a few of us, but, uh, you know, a few unforeseen circumstances have unfortunately just left it as myself and Roderick Hullaby. So glad that Rod's, Rod's joined us from Iowa in the USA uh, Rod is the father of Dylan Hullaby, who has just signed with the Oxford City Stars. So we're going to get his little intake and input on everything that goes on US hockey and how Dylan's move to come over here sort of come about. So that's a really interesting chat and I really do hope that you enjoy it. Uh, so, yeah, I'm so thrilled to be back and recording Zero Pucks podcasts. We're going to start again proper full time in September. And as I released on social media uh, a couple of weeks ago, we have got some cracking guests already lined up. Uh, so when we sort of get Challenge Weekends set up, we'll come on and we'll talk a little bit about those. And then just after the Challenge Weekends, before the season starts, I will be joined by Anthony Russell from Banners on the Wall, who was uh, extremely popular with our post-season review last year. And we're going to preview the upcoming season and all eight teams. Uh, I will also, possibly before that episode, be talking to John from NIHL Roster Updates, just about some of the the big signings that have gone on across the NIHL One South uh, and players that have moved sort of left, right and centre and a little chat about that. But we'll be previewing every team uh, with Anthony Russell just after the challenge weekend. Uh, I've then also got a few other teams players sort of coming on because Zero Pucks has grown to sort of be covering the entire NIHL One South this year. Uh, so we've got Christian Moore confirmed from Slough Jets to come on board. Also Stanislav Laschek from Invicta Dynamos. I cannot wait to talk to Stano. Uh, that's going to be really, really exciting. And then one for Chieftains fans, a former player and now business coach. And I mean, God, there's nothing this guy can't do. Will Polston. I just can't wait to talk to Will about his hockey career. He recently played in a, uh, a testimonial match as well. So we'll just see how much he was aching after that. But yeah, really, really looking forward to talking to Will because what everything he does on his social media with his business coaching, and everything is so exciting. So that's going to be really, really interesting chat. Uh, so yeah, and then a few other players. I've got a few things in the pipeline. Uh, I did reveal we've got Justin Wong coming up. He was Kenny Wu in the Mighty Ducks franchise. So I'm really looking forward to talking to Justin all the way from Vancouver. Uh, and yeah, just moving forward, everything's going to be hopefully sounding a little bit better. The technology I've upped a little bit. Uh, all the videos on YouTube should be a little bit better as well. So really looking forward to get it going and get it cracking. Uh, so for this episode, then, let's jump straight into this chat about all things hockey with me and Rod Hullaby. 
Zero Pucks Given in partnership with Blades Belong on Your Feet. We're back for this special episode in July, and I'm truly honoured to be joined by Roderick Hullaby, all the way from the USA. Uh, and your son has just signed for the Oxford City Stars. So how are you doing, sir? Tell us how you feel about that. Uh, really excited. First of all, thanks for having me on. You're more than um, welcome. It, I really love what the what you're doing with the podcast, and uh, it's really good to see um, you know kind of the the grassroots of hockey and how you're how you're helping it grow and getting the word out. I do a similar podcast about junior hockey here in the states, so it's just kind of you know a medium of you know maybe perhaps some hockey that's not heavily covered. So you you know getting that information out. So really enjoyed it, but we're really excited. Um, this is a fantastic opportunity that came out of nowhere. Um, really it's happened within the last month uh dylan had already planned to go back to school for a sophomore year of university um and then out of nowhere he got uh a dm from um simon said hey would you be interested in coming over and you know it's just kind of one of those weird things where oxford is where his mother was born so it's kind of you know it's like ah it was meant to be so you know, or, did, or did Simon know that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he might have. And so it just kind of came together. And uh, Simon and the organization have just been top notch. Um, so, you know, this was something he's always wanted to do, was to play over in Europe, play in England. Um, so it just happened a little bit sooner than we thought. So, yeah, he's really excited. So with Dylan's heritage, obviously, being both British and American, do you know if he qualifies as an import or as a British player for for Oxford? Uh, for right now, I understand he's an import, um, and I believe I think he'll be an import import for like two seasons, and then after that, uh, because of his passport, yeah, he'll be able to, uh, you know, he won't be an import anymore. So he'll have to take it from there. Yeah, I mean, fortunately, at, at our level, the rules have been changed slightly this season, where you can have up to three imports in a roster, and you can have any amount of them on the ice at any one time. Whereas uh, in previous years and last year, particularly uh, it was a struggle for Chelmsford Chieftains because we had Petr Cech in goal, who Oxford will have this coming season, um, that you could only have one import on the ice at any one time. So if Cech was in goal, that was it. We had a young, young Ukrainian lad who's absolutely mustered, but he couldn't come on the ice. (laughs) And that's, I mean, I understand what they're trying to do with that ruling, but I guess it's that delicate balance you have to to put between could having a couple imports on the ice help the development of the players around them Mm -hmm. or, you know, it's, and it's, it's similar to what MLS has done over here, trying to get football slash soccer. If I slip between the two, blame it on my (laughs) American. Uh, And where they, you know, they, in the beginning, they were really like strict on how many non-U.S. players you could have on the roster. But I think they finally discovered that in order for the game to grow, you have to get the people with the talent that'll come over. So it, it's good to see that they've made the change with the rule. And I think in the long run, you'll find that it, it'll actually help out. Yeah, it's something I've always actually agreed with that. Uh, I mean, in particular, there's there's, a, there's an import in the British League who's been over here for quite some time who was drafted by uh, Tampa Bay back in 2005, I think it was, uh, called Stanislav Laszczak. He will be joining me uh, this season on the podcast as well, which is, is going to be brilliant. But he's of such a quality that just having him playing in that team, it brings everybody else up a level. 
and 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 it's almost like something to aspire to when you see the level that these people that have come from in all honesty countries where hockey is a more popular sport than it is here um it's growing there's no doubt about it it's growing at quite an existential rate but it's still not obviously we have football soccer cricket boxing rugby that are all more popular than ice hockey so and, we, and that's the same way it is here um i think one of the 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 funny things is hockey in the uk is very similar to hockey in iowa where we live um because i think a lot of people see you know obviously canada is just a different beast on its own mm. where you have rinks everywhere and i think people maybe in the uk or in europe have this idea that that's it's the same way in the us but it's not you know you have your minnesota where I could take you to high schools in Minnesota and their arena would be better than anything in the EIHL. There yeah. are some schools that hockey is that big. Um, but in States like Iowa, where we're from, it, it's hockey's not the same. It, it's, it's more like the UK. It's more. So when Dylan played his youth hockey, you know, the closest team was an hour away and all the tournaments we played, we're at least four hours away. We would have to go to Minnesota and Wisconsin because they wouldn't come down to us because there's no reason for them to. Why yeah. would they drive four hours for a game when they can drive 10 minutes for a game? So that kind of hurts in development as well. And you don't have as much rain, many rinks or as much ice time. So kind of in kind of reading up on hockey in the UK, it seems like that's kind of the similar story of ice time, cost of ice time, and, and, and kind of getting those numbers because there were years where our organization would skip a year. Like we wouldn't have, we, we, we split up age groups. We don't say U16, U14, it's peewee squirts, bantams, yeah. things like that. And there are years where you just don't have a team because you just don't have the numbers. And so in some places in the U S yes, Minnesota, Wisconsin, the East coast hockey's huge. There's a lot of availability, but in other parts like, Iowa, Nebraska, you, you have that one rink and, you know, you kind of have whatever kids you have come out. So how did, were you a player? Is that what got Dylan into it? Uh, no, I, when I was young, so it'd be seventh grade here. So when I was about 10, 11, uh, we moved to St. Louis, Missouri, and I went to my first NHL game. And that was the first time. I had been to a hockey game and through my dad's company, there was a meet and greet afterwards. And that was the first time I had met a professional athlete were all these hockey players. And I was hooked. I was hooked ever since. Um, I played recreationally. Um, I played American football. Um, and so I never got the chance to play uh, like organized other than like men's league. Um, so Dylan didn't have a chance <laughs> to be anything but a hockey fan. And, <laughs> you know, when he was, when he was really young, maybe like two or three years old, um, I had a job where I traded uh, tickets for season tickets to the local AHL team, which is the league right underneath the NHL. Yeah. Um, so we had four seats in the corner right on the glass, and we practically went to every game. So at a young age, you know, he was watching hockey, and he, and we were lucky because we got to see the 
young players for the Chicago Blackhawks that then went up to win all the Stanley Cups. We saw Marc-Andre Fleury in his first professional season play down there. So we got to see a lot of good players and he just got introduced to the game and, you know, he's loved it ever since. And he's a big athletic lad. Uh, was there any other sort of physical sports that he enjoyed? I mean, I see you're wearing a lion's top there. Was he ever involved in rugby at all or was it any chance for that? Yeah, finally. Yeah, finally. And um, rugby is, is not that big over here. And so they, his, his senior year of high school, I want to say, they just started uh, sevens. So he played sevens. Uh, and, you know, I love rugby. Uh, when we would travel back over, we used to travel back all the time when I worked for an airline to England. And our trips were always during rugby season. Uh, so I could go to it. You know, we, I've never, I don't think I've ever been to England in the summertime. It's always been during rugby and football season. Uh, well, so if I, could, if played... I could show you out my window now, summertime's not up to much here at the moment. <laughs> uh, so he always played American football. Um, and uh, that's, you know, but hockey was what he loved. He just loved, he just took to it and loved it. Yeah, is he going to be billeting? Uh, he'll or be, you, or has he got got, family? Um, he'll be billeting. Uh, we've got family. Um, my wife's uncle lives in Oxford. Um, uh, her brother lives in Bristol. Her mom lives in Bristol. Um, his cousins, uh, live in Bristol. Um, so, uh, the team has set up accommodations for him. So it's been really great. Mm. And I mean, it's something we've spoken about actually, since, um, you, you sort of revealed to me that Dylan was joining us in this country is he really is looking to progress himself over here. Um, and Oxford have had a connection with Bristol in the past, um, Bristol, of course, in the national league now. So he's, if he performs, he's really got a chance of getting himself a two way at the, at the level above. And hopefully so, but you know he's coming over first and foremost uh, to kind of, to help Oxford uh, to help that program advance, and um, you know I know he wants to kind of work with some of the the youth clubs as well, um, skate with them, uh, and to have that opportunity, uh, you know, just kind of pass along, you know, what he's learned from the game because you know he's had to really really work um, to where he's gotten, um, and you know they call it a, a late a late bloomer. But uh, there's um, some folks over here that said it's, it's not a late bloomer. It's just the progression mm. of how you are to be as a player. Um, you know, kind of over here, it's made where you kind of play what you'd call like U14, U16, U18. Then you move to juniors and then you move to college. And, you know, obviously some people move quicker and they're 18 and they're getting drafted in the first round of the NHL. But, you know, other players, you know, you do make that progression uh, of moving up kind of the ladder at different stages. And some people are great at 18 and some people, you know, kind of get there at 22, 23, 24. Yeah. Which if they can enjoy that progression on the way up as well, it's not a bad thing, is it? It's a, it almost broadens your experience. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's important for when you're wrapped up in it, you kind of don't see it. But now looking back, it's, you know, everybody wanted their kid to play in the USHL, which is the top junior league here in the States. But, you know, it's not for everybody, um, you know, and it's not just hockey wise, but a lot of the development is off ice as well. Um, and there's a lot of pressure. Uh, and I work, you know, one of the reasons 
we moved to Cedar Rapids where we live was because I had took a job with the USHL team here and I got to see firsthand, you know, the pressure of playing in the top league of, you know, trying to get a division one scholarship. Uh, it, there's a lot of pressure on the kids. So you've got to measure, I think what that's, what's lost sometimes is measuring the progress on the ice as well as off the ice, which is just as important. Yeah. I think I would actually be joined uh, in early September by a guy from MG one elite which is like an off ice and on ice training program over here where I think I can sort of get at what you're saying, where a lot of these youngsters come through and obviously the American sports system is so different to how it is over here. And I think it's a shame for us over here that it doesn't work like that because I do admire the American system, but there's a lot of mental stress that goes on these, these young shoulders very early. And I think if you're, if you've got someone perhaps like yourself or in the organization that can keep that level headedness, of these young men, then they can progress physically, can't they? Yeah, and and it was great. There's a gentleman who helped us, um, DMV uh, prospect Scott Lowe, and we we got a, we met up with him, and he had gone through it with his son of that whole junior hockey of trying to play at the top level, but then finding your level. And you know, there are many times where we, you know he spoke on the phone or, you know, texted each other where he was just kind of saying, Hey, you know, it's the long play. It's the long play. You know, some guys are going to get a college commitment now, whereas some will get it later. And you, you, you really can't judge yourself based on anybody else. You really have to take your individual progression because how many times do you see it in football where there's a kid that's great at 12, but then never grows. And then by the time he's 16, everyone else has passed them, but he was great at 12. And so I think that's what you have to remember is your individual development and finding who and what you are as a player. And I think that's what Dylan has done. He found who he was as a player. So this is what I do really, really well. And I'm going to do it really, really well. And then go from there. Mm. There's, I mean, you sent me a, a link to, to watch a couple of bits of Dylan playing. How, how is it over there with that, that level getting it out to the public is, is there good live streams available is is there enough media out there or is that why you do the podcast that you do uh, no there is really good there's um there's one company um that broadcasts games so you buy a subscription um and with this subscription you can get games from multiple leagues um and even on the subscription you can get uh, games from like the french league uh czech league uh so you can get games on there and now it's getting to the point where each league kind of has its own video streaming service so being able to see games is actually quite easy and i think and it's really something you have to have in order to attract players because players want to play somewhere where they'll know they can get promoted where they can be seen and scouted. So if you don't offer that to players, they're not going to want to come to your, come to your team. Um, And it's really based out of, uh, you know, the pandemic where the only type of scouting coaches could do was by video. So everybody had to kind of up their video game to make it to where you could be seen. So uh, that's what kind of it is now where, you know, a coach can get on this uh, streaming service and could watch any number of kids all the way across the country. Yeah. And that's something actually that we spoke about that Oxford actually do and Oxford do very, very well 
um, with Oxo Sports. They stream the, the games live around the world with commentary. Um, the quality is really great, despite the fact the camera's behind the netting, which is a bit of a shame, but it's uh, it's still a good quality. You can follow the game. And it's something a lot of the clubs over here are doing, even at the professional level in the, in the elite league, the elite ice hockey league. They've, uh, they did have uh, a television deal with Viaplay, um, and that's now gone. But the clubs would rather film it themselves, sell the streams themselves, and have that sort of extra bit of revenue that way. Um, every team has to video their games for disciplinary purposes. So if there's anything that happens during the game that needs to be reviewed, they need to supply a good enough video so that that can be reviewed. But I think all the teams should be looking at, if, if not live streaming, certainly an, a, a sort of an accomplished highlights package a day after. Because the rinks over here aren't massive and not everybody can travel for, for away fixtures. Um, and I, I think it's something that everyone should do, not only for the reasons that you said, because players want to be seen, they want to be promoted. We want to see them as well. Yeah, it's a great way to promote your game because, you know, another thing that they do over here is every now and then uh, you'll see uh, games on television as a way to kind of promote the game and saying, hey, look what's going on. This is exciting. Come, you know, come watch our team. And I think you have to do those kind of things as well to get people to say, you know, there's excitement here at the arena because, you know, I haven't been to a cricket match, so I don't know how it translates from just watching it on TV to in person, if there's much of a change. But there are a lot of, you know, a lot of sports where, especially fast-moving ones, where in person is so much different mm. than on television. Like, I don't think television can show the true speed of a hockey game. You have no. to see it in person to see the speed of the game and really appreciate it. Yeah. And that's something they've done in the UK for, for years with football, soccer, uh, our Saturday three o'clock games never televised. And it's always been a fear of the clubs that the more games that are on telly, the less people will go to the games. But football is a sport that you can watch in the stadium, you can watch on the telly, and it's kind of the same, unless you love that sort of stadium atmosphere. But as you've said, with hockey, watching it on the telly is great, but it's nothing like being there. So it's never going to be in direct competition. Yeah, exactly. And and that's it's kind of funny because, you know, the Chicago Blackhawks for a long time, their owner blacked out all their home games and people didn't like that. And so they stayed away. So when it was announced that his son was taking over the team, he said, we're taking that blackout off and their attendance actually went up because you really? can see the product because you can see the excitement. And then people want to say, hey, you know, I like watching it on on television. Yeah, it's got to be that much better in person, and that's how you get the people involved with the game. So, are you a Blackhawks fan? No, Blues fan. Are you Blues? I grew up in St. Louis, so Blues fan. So, because I was going to say, then we were talking, you know, youngsters coming through and the Blackhawks. What about Connor Bedard? Is he up there with uh, some of the best that have ever come through? Yeah, but, you know, we talked about earlier that pressure and, and that's going to be the thing is how do you deal with that, you know, pressure of basically a franchise saying, okay, we've been, you know, terrible for the last few years, bring us out of it. Um, and, and it's all who you surround with it because, I mean, look at uh, look at Connor McDavid. You know, they're just now starting to be contenders 
you know, and how long has he been in the league? And so it's not necessarily that one person. It's got to be that team with all the little pieces that, um, you know, kind of get you to success. I think he'll be fine as an individual. And then getting the people around them is kind of almost as important, if not more important than actually getting him. Yeah. I, I, as you say, I think supporting him mentally is going to be a, an enormous task because he's, I mean, during the World Junior Championships where he, I think he scored over 50% of Canada's points. Uh, people then all over the world were saying his name. You know, everyone's saying they know who this kid is. But the NHL, as, you know, the saviour of the Blackhawks is an entirely different prospect for him to take on board. Um, so, yeah, I think, yeah, someone keeping keeping close and keeping his mental strength. But, again, I think it's something that with the the way that young athletes in the States have to progress, I I think they're built for that. Yeah, you do have a lot of that competition that, uh, you know, basically tryouts or as you call them in the UK, trials um, of each year you have to try out. And for a lot of these teams, you you know, you'll you'll go, and for example, USHL top league tryout, you know, you'll go to a weekend camp and it starts on a Thursday, ends on a Sunday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday you're playing, you know, there could be six to 10 teams of kids trying to make, you know, six to 10 full teams. So that's what you're thinking, 18, 20 a team to try to make it to make one team. So you have all those kids, you know, to try to whittle down to make one team. And so, you know, you've got that pressure and, you know, it's difficult. It's, you know, it's such a fine line between, a kid not making it and making it um, all those things. So I think that's kind of where you, you kind of get it built up, but at the same time, it can burn kids out um, Mm -hmm. to the point where I think that's where you start seeing kids start, you know, usually around in their high school age, 15 and 18, you kind of see a lot of kids drop out of the sport just because of that grind of trying to get there. It just kind of takes its toll on some kids. And they discover beer and girls. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> and they, and they, you know, because you do have to sacrifice a lot. You do have to, you know, when your friends are going out, you're going home because you've either got to, maybe you have to catch up on homework or you've got training the next day. So you really can't go out and have a lot of fun. Um, but, I mean, with a young athlete doing that, it's not just them that makes enormous sacrifices. You, you as a parent, Obviously, as you were saying, you know, four-hour drive here, you know, eight-hour round trip on a Saturday or something for a for a tournament. It's something I've discussed with a few of the juniors' parents over in the UK. The sacrifice you guys make is incredible because it's such a time-consuming sport. Yeah, it it is, but you know, for all those years of driving around um, and doing all that, I mean, where he is right now and where he was last year you know, it, it, it definitely makes it all worth it. And, you know, and everybody wants to say, Oh yeah, if my kid can make it to the NHL or whatever. I don't, uh, that's not my thing. I want him to play this sport as long as he can. And as long as he wants to, yeah. you know, there's no, Oh, you've got to get to this level or get to that level. And honestly, it's taken me a few years to get to that point because I was a, Hey, we've got to go. We've got to go. You know, this is what you want to do. Um, but, you know, he left home when he was 15, um, moved away, 
the the play. Um, and so really he's been, you know, for the last, what, six years, he's been gone. Uh, he did come back his senior year of high school uh, to work on academics and he played for his high school team. But other than that, he's been living away um, and, you know, kind of hockey has been his full-time job, so to speak, um, and, and just pursuing his dream. So that won't be a massive adjustment for him them coming over here, will it? You know, he's been living like this for a few years now. Yeah, the distance wise um is one thing, but you know, being on his own and yeah, he's kind of used to that. And so that adjustment plus that's the great thing about hockey is the the community takes care of its own, you know, and it's yeah. you know you know, you could have someone and that's what I love about hockey is you know, you could have someone play for Chelmsford last year and then they come over to Oxford and they're a teammate, you know, there's no grudges because it's hockey and there's that brotherhood or sisterhood built into the game to where you say, okay, whatever happened in the past, you're with me now, you're with us. And so, you know, that, that won't be an issue. You know, I, I was, I said to him, I was like, are you ready to be chirped by everybody for being an American? (laughs) <laughs> hope you're so ready for that because they will <laughs> you know they they will get on you about that but that's the great thing about the sport you know you know he's looking he's looking forward to it yeah and i suppose regardless of what's said on the ice you know hands will be shook hugs will be had at the end and then it's all uh it's all friends isn't it and i must say i mean yeah. he, he may he may well get a little bit of stick even from some of the other teams but we are all just so excited to see him play um, I mean, even I'm a Chelmsford fan. I'm looking forward to the fixtures coming out to see when Oxford are coming down to Chelmsford um, so we can see them go. They've put together a fantastic roster this year. They they had a spell last year where they were they were picking up some incredible results and and getting great shutouts and and they were they were really hard to play against. And and what Simon Anderson's managed to do this summer is put a roster together that has made the teams that finished sort of three or four places above them look over their shoulder and go shit they're coming yeah and and that's what i liked about the division was obviously um you had the top but then you've got like the big group where i think uh you and did said it on your nihl south recap you guys were talking about how you know a couple fixtures here and there and that whole division is completely aligned a different way and and that's what's exciting where every game because 20 i mean when you think about it when you're only playing 28 30 games you know every game is so important and that's what's kind of exciting about uh you know the season is hey all these games are important they're all like league games they're all within your division so you know it really gives that extra bit of excitement to where if you can put a couple weekends together you know you could shoot up the standings yeah absolutely and it's i mean we we said in the in the preview uh, sorry review of last season and Anthony will be joining me again to preview the, the season that's coming up i mean from Stretton Redhawks who are who are an astonishing team and they had another astonishing year Solent Devils had a great year, but then Slough Jets, Invicta Dynamos, Chelmsford Chieftains, all on the same points. It was a matter of a few goals in it, and and then to even sort of you know Romford and Oxford below, it's only a couple of points the difference. So as you said, you start putting a couple of four point weekends together, and the table has a very different look. And I think what's going to make it more exciting this year, I think, is the cup. I think the cup is going to be really exciting. It, it's. 
and that's, I mean, that's what you want in the sport. You want excitement because that brings in the fans, you know, the players realizing what's on the line gets them juiced up a little bit more and it kind of all just feeds into itself because I will say, you know, I've tried to watch some of the games um, on YouTube and I have to say the crowds look real energetic. I mean, the, the crowds are, you know, are they massive crowds? No, but it seems like the way the arenas are made and the crowds that they get, it's a really electric atmosphere for a lot of the arenas. And, you know, and the, and I think that's interesting to see moving forward. Yeah. I think th- throughout that, I mean, throughout our division, there's only really uh, Romford Raiders, Romford Buccaneers, as they're now known, that have got, uh, they are a second team. They've got the Raiders above them who play in the National League. So they probably will have a smaller home crowd than some of the other teams because they are, in effect, a second second string, but the most of the sides will set out their ink on on regular occurrences. And as you say, the way they're designed, the, the atmosphere in them is fantastic. And what you will find at Oxford this year is that that signing of Petr Cech, it will just drive ticket sales. They're, and now, and they've they've said, as Chelmsford said last year, as Guildford Phoenix said before, it's not a PR stunt. You know, he he is a really good hockey goalkeeper. He's he's an incredible athlete. Um, we discussed when he joined Chelmsford that that mentality. He has won everything he could possibly win as a professional footballer um, domestically. So that mentality and that mindset, that's you can't buy that. And, and to, yeah. to put that in a dressing room with these young men, it it must do something. And the interest in him playing this sport has has been massive. And Oxford will get big, big crowds week in, week out. And it's, and I think the guys will thrive off that as well. And, you know, that's something I told Dylan was, you know, if you don't take the opportunity to, you know, if he's willing to like pick his brain to just how to about, about what it takes to be a professional athlete, mm. you know, and just, you know, to be playing a full football career and I'll be able to move into hockey as well. You know, just the preparation of taking care of your body, the mental side of it. I mean, I I would love to sit down with him and just talk about the mental side of sport. I mean, oh, oh so being would a, I. Being, <laughs> being a keeper at that top, you know, at that top level, you know, Chelsea, Arsenal, you know, just what does it take to be mentally at that side, because you know, you kind of have an idea physically, you know, obviously that you can kind of see that, but mentally, what does it take? And not just on game day, but from day to day, training session to training session, you know, away from the rink, away from the pitch. That's what that's what fascinates me because I feel that's what truly separates professional athletes. I think once you make it to the top levels, the skill wise is just kind of all the same. But then when you listen about people talk about Jordan or Kobe Bryant, you know, Wayne Gretzky, it's that mental aspect that seems to be the deciding factor. The Tom Brady's that, okay, this is what separated them from everybody else was that mental aspect, how they approach the game. And I think that would, that may be one of the biggest things that he could add to a locker room. Yeah. And, and, and I certainly think it was from what I understand from, from some of the lads, I did briefly speak with him about coming on the podcast. I know he's a very busy guy. Um, so I have got other people to sort of chirp in from left, right, center to try and get him on. <laughs> but he's, um, 
Yeah, from what I understand from the guys at Chelmsford, he's he gets involved with the banter. He he really is one of the lads, and he is he's so willing to share with anybody his experience and his knowledge, um, because I think he understands that that's that that's in some ways is bigger than any talent or any ability. I mean, one of my favourite quotes, I can't even remember who it was now, it's massive in boxing, is that hard work will beat talent when talent doesn't work hard. Yeah. And I think that's so true in every single sport. And if you can pick the brain of a man who has, as you say, that mentality to be a day-in, day-out professional athlete, I, do you know what I mean? I don't think you can get any better than that. No, not at all. And that's what the sport needs. Um are those people who can bring that mentality so that it can grow. Because I think once you start with like your U10s or U12s or U14s, especially in a, in a sport like football over here, that's where the challenge is. Cause I think at like the MLS level, you know, that's fine. And it's almost like the good players are going to filter to that level where I think the U S is really lacking is in that, U10, U12, U14 range of training and building that foundation. And it's sort of the same way in hockey. And I'm I'm wondering if it might be the way over in the UK as well as it's it's building the players of tomorrow and making sure you have those structures in place to create those good players that is what's truly, truly important. Mm. And it's so, I mean, going back to what we touched on really early about having the import players, it's, you know, you can pick their brains about, you know, their training methods, their on off ice activities that they do um, to, to, you know, get themselves prepared. I mean, particularly with netminders, the flexibility just must be unbelievable. I mean, every time they drop into the butterfly, I feel it in my knees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not entirely sure how they have that level of flexibility. And and that's really what you need to use them for. When you have those import players in, um, you know, like I said, how do you train? Um, you can see it on the ice, but how do you get to where you can use it on the ice? And you have to get all that information in, be willing to share it, because that's the important thing, too, is the other part is being getting the people in who have the knowledge, but then also those people being willing to share it to order to help your your junior structures, but what, what is the junior structure like in the UK? I've kind of been reading up, trying to find out kind of like what the structure of hockey in the UK is like and kind of where, how the sport has grown, because obviously the national team is having success. So maybe it's at that point now where you're like, okay, what we had in place is actually starting to kind of show some fruition. Yeah, I think it is, um, it is growing a lot of the junior clubs, um, particularly with the girls as well. It's getting really popular with young girls. They're, they're almost at the stage where they're full. They're, they can't accept new people because they've got so many players. Um, I think at Chelmsford particularly, I think through 10s and 12s, there's sort of two or three different sides for, for them age groups. And then they sort of start building up. There's a, there is a rule in the UK where you can't, men can't play or boys can't play men's hockey until they're 16. It used to be 14. Um, ironically called the Chelmsford rule. It's uh, it's now 16. But um, as you said, the GB and the England at the younger age groups is really, really progressing. Um, I think England at the, the Peewee in Quebec, the 63rd annual Peewee tournament, uh, they did really well. I think they got to the semifinals. Uh, one of the Chelmsford young lads 
uh, Ruben Terry starred in that, and uh, Jack Petty Williams, uh, a good good netminder as well. So there's a uh, yeah, there's definitely progression in it. Uh, from what I've seen, I've been to a couple of the youth training sessions. Fantastic pace, it, and that seems to be more than the physicality these days. It's all about the pace of the game, and I, th- I think what's going to build it because we're we've discussed so many times on this podcast because I'm a massive fan of it. The Mighty Ducks in the '90s was an enormous catalyst for youngsters all over the world picking up the sport. We're not going to get another Mighty Ducks. We're not going to get anything else like that that pushes it on. What we need now in, in Britain is we need Team GB, men and women, to make the Winter Olympics. When they get there and then the whole country can get behind it, then it will it will grow again. But then the problem we have, as I've also discussed in this podcast, as you say, similar in Iowa, we need more ice. Yeah, that's the that's the toughest thing. Um, like right now, I was talking to a, a gentleman last night to get Dylan some uh, ice time, some training session, and the ice slots he have are five thirty and six thirty a.m. Mm. because you've got everything else. You know, that's you know during the season on a typical day from two thirty to four thirty, the USHL team has the ice. Um, and then there's a little bit of break, maybe a half hour, but then you have to get potentially six, you know, youth teams training and the high school team training. So you're trying to get, you know, almost eight to 10 teams training within four hours of ice time, which is just too difficult. And you can't really do anything outside of that because I, I want to say, you know, ice is about probably about 300 to 350 an hour. Um, so, you know, that, I think that's, that's the, the, what's killing this. I won't say killing the sport, but deterring the progress of the sport yeah. is the cost to get involved. And until you can find a way to bring that down, that's where you're going to get the barrier of getting new people into the sport. Yeah, and that, that's why I say for me, I think it needs that uh, international success from the men and the women on the Olympic stage to to get the the government to put sports funding into it. When they, they did it, I think it was last year, there was an enormous budget announcement of millions and millions and millions that was going to be put into sport. And I don't think ice hockey even got 100 grand, which when you spread across the whole country, it's, it's nothing problem we're having with facilities at the moment is the there seems to be one private company that's building them and they're not maintaining them properly they're falling into states of disrepair uh they're then they're getting a little bit too involved in corporate sides perhaps wanting to get too involved with the league and how everything is run and structured i think it needs i mean some some clubs have council run rinks where they're renting it off the council that seems to work better than the ones built by the private organizations uh, but I, yeah, I think it's just a number of facilities. I think if we had more facilities, we would get more players and then they would get better, so on and so forth, and it would grow. But it's, I think, I, I did look at, look it up as to sort of pie in the sky if I was to win 140 million on the Euro millions or something like that. But you're, you're looking at a minimum of five million pounds to build an ice rink. And that's without maintaining it. So it's it's not it's not cheap, but it's I think it's something they've got to take the plunge. But zero pucks given arena 
has a nice <laughs> ring to it. <laughs> it home, does of the, home of the NIHL1 South Britain finals has a nice <laughs> ring to it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's the same thing here. But, he, but the amazing thing is while Dylan was playing youth hockey and we traveled to these tournaments in the state of Wisconsin, you'd see all these small towns that maybe had, it looked like, maybe 25 50,000 people and they would have the nicest rinks because all like all the property tax money was put in to building this rink that belonged to the community mm-hmm. and members of the community came and they maintained it ran the tournaments did the zamboni to clear the ice and it's like and you look at it and you say here's a town of 25 to 50,000 people with this awesome facility yet our own town that has you know over 100,000 people can't get a rink together or anything like that and it you would just it was just something that would scratch your head to try to understand yeah and i think there's a lot of the ways that the the fans think about their clubs is it's, they do feel like it's their club and a lot of the fans do put in volunteer hours and do it as much as they can particularly when the fans of the bigger clubs are probably taking their kids to the junior setup as well. There's an awful lot of, of people's time and effort that goes into it. Um, and we are having a, a sort of, not, I wouldn't say an issue. I think it's more of a, it's an open debate at the moment about the Sheffield Steel Dogs in the National League. There's something going on there about their inclusion in the National League next year. It's all a little bit cats in the cradle and no one really knows all the facts. So I won't, uh, I won't depart my opinion on that. Um, so, because I certainly don't know all the facts, everyone else doesn't. But um, yeah, it I mean, makes that's... for good reading on Twitter, though. I will say I've been trying to read up on it, and some of the comment sections on some of the posts have been quite quite interesting to read. But you can certainly tell the passion that the fans have got. For yeah, exactly. Team. Yeah. So, so what in so what involvement do EIHL teams have with the leagues below them? Absolutely I mean, zero. What, really? Yeah. Because it seems like that's how you kind of get the involvement of and grow the game as well is that top league filtering down to the leagues below because the structure here in the States is you have the NHL and a lot of, and they will have an AHL American hockey league and an ECHL, which stands for East coast hockey league, but there's teams all over the country. They'll have those affiliations. So, a team could sign a player, an NHL team could theoretically sign a player to a contract and place them on the ECHL team. And, you know, so a player can move up, player can move down, and they sort of have that affiliation, but they also work with promoting the game through those teams with their affiliation. So to hear that they have none is is kind of shocking. Yeah, it's something I very briefly discussed with uh, with Joe Scutts, who has uh, today announced he's joined the uh, EIHA, uh, the English Ice Hockey Association, as their stat man. Um, but yeah, the English Ice Hockey Association and the Elite Ice Hockey League are two completely separate um, sort of corporations. Uh, and, and I sort of said, you know, this all started with Sheffield Steel Dogs because the Sheffield Steelers, their owner, tried to buy the Steel Dogs so he could own both clubs in Sheffield, um, Steelers in the Elite, Steel Dogs in the National. And I sort of, I said to Joe, I said, I, I don't have a problem with that. I don't see it as a conflict of interest. I, I see it as the first step to making our hockey over here like America, where you can have your top league, your second league, your third league, 
and everyone's linked. All the clubs are linked. So, I mean, there's not there's not really anything in the southeast from the elite league. A lot of it is, is sort of the north northern part of the country. But, for example, you could have Sheffield. You'd have Sheffield Steelers in the elite league, sort of our version of the NHL. Then you've got your Sheffield Steel Dogs in the national, our version of the AHL. And the Sheffield Skimitars, perhaps down in the in the NIHL too, you know, the same as the as the East Coast. And if one player signed for the the Steelers, you know, perhaps isn't going to get into the team every week, and they want to get him some experience, then then you can put him down exactly as you just said. And I think it should work that way, and that would be a brilliant way to grow the game in this country. And and it would be a great thing. I mean, something that a few other people have discussed. We need an elite league team in London. Really need one. Yeah. So we've got um, we've got a couple of teams uh, in the NIHL two South. We've got the Lee Valley Lions and the Haringey Huskies. Uh, one of them's East London, one of them's North London. But yeah, I think I think London did have a I think there were the London Knights, I believe, for a few years ago. They did have a pro ice hockey team. But yeah, I think that would uh, people in the north of this country think the game belongs to them. <laughs> <laughs> we, we need some more in the south. They're the Canada of the UK. The, belong, the game belongs to us. <laughs> yeah, and, and and it's interesting to see that because you'll find a lot of times here in the states with NHL teams, they will send goalies down to play that entire season to get that experience. And I mean, you'll even see them start off in the East Coast League just because they learn that mentality of being, hey. I'm the number one keeper. I'm the number one goalie. I've got a, that mentality of how do I set up myself? How do I get manage a whole season? And without having that, it you it seems like you would want to have a team where you could develop players. And so in the national, so let's say I'll create controversy. Let's say Cardiff is associated with Bristol. Cardiff has a player, they send them a young player, they send them down to Bristol. Now the folks in Bristol are coming out to the game to support their squad, but also the opportunity to say, hey, you know, that kid that's tearing up the Elite League, I saw him when he played in the National League, and I could see then that he was going to be something special. And that's what that's what drives the game as well. And that's the way you can market yourself as being in the National League is, hey, where future stars come from so that, you know, you want to see the next great player in the league. Yeah, and, and it should absolutely work that way. We, we did last year. I think it's the first time it had happened for a couple of years. We had a young lad uh, on a two-way at Chelmsford from the Peterborough Phantoms in the national division uh, called Archie Salisbury. And he was playing with us quite regularly. And in January, the Peterborough Phantoms, he's only 16 years old. In January, the Peterborough Phantoms offered him a professional contract and then, uh, sorry, a senior contract. And then immediately he was loaned up to the Nottingham Panthers in the elite league. And he went and played a weekend up there. He was the only 16 year old to play in the elite league last season. And, that's what, when I said to you, it's really rare. That was the rare occasion of it happening uh, where, where someone that could, he was playing mainly in the NRHL one was getting a little bit of time in the national. And then he went up to elite. having watched the kid. He was one of the, one of the A's for the GB under 18s at the recent tournament they played in Europe. I think the kid will go pro. I think he's absolutely incredible, but it's that pathway has got to be clear. And at the moment it's not clear. Yeah. And that's the, that's what you have to have to help grow the game because you almost have to give players something to shoot for 
and you have to have a pathway to where they know because the last thing you want because you see it in football all the time the last thing you want is a kid to sit on the bench where he's not developing where he's not learning and you know maybe he does have to play in nihl one but he learns the game he learns how to play um in a power play situation in a penalty kill situation so that when you move him up it's not something new and and then that has to be there for development yeah and, and like you say it's great for sports fans to say things like I saw that kid when he was, you know, ripping it up down here. I mean, I, I do like a little bit of football, sort of soccer over here. And a few friends of mine, we went to see our local team who are in the, the bottom professional league. And we went to see their under-18s team play in the FA Cup and they played against Arsenal. And in the team that Arsenal brought down, there was this kid who was unbelievable. And we could all see he was a level above. And we left the game texting anyone that would listen. This kid, remember this kid's name. We've just watched him play. He's 16. He absolutely tore everything apart. And it was Emil Smith-Rowe, who's now in the Arsenal first team and has made a, a full England appearance. So when he made his full England appearance, we're telling everyone again, yeah, we saw that kid. We saw that kid when he was 16. We got an eye for talent. Yeah, he was tearing <laughs> Colchester United, a new one. And yeah, I would love to like sit in our rink. I'm not going to pimp out names because I love our young players. I'm not naming them in case people are listening and they say, yeah, we're having him because I'm not pimping them out. But yeah, we've got kids that are that, at Chelmsford that have played in the Warriors and then up to the Chieftains that not only are they terrific kids, really, really, and they're all really well brought up. They're really well mannered. They've got their feet on the ground. They know exactly how to behave as what they are on a weekend. They're heroes to, to the people that go and watch. So they behave like that really well. But they're so good at the game as well. And if they get that chance at progression they've got the right mentality to, to grab it and take it. And so, and you would think that these national league coaches would want to bring people up as they begin to make their, you know, squad rosters for the following years. Hey, I've got my eye on this kid. Could he help us next year? Give him a couple games up high. So if you had those affiliations, you could, actually really work to see what is that player like mm. but you've got to have that connection between each league just like your your nihl one team has to have that connection to the junior teams in their rink as just like they're trying to get their you know i know like there's the rising stars it's like it's nice to see that every pretty much every team has a youth system underneath them building to funnel into that Mm. which is what you want. So kids, I think if you give kids something to shoot for, then your top players are going to say, yeah, that's what I want. Cause that's basically yeah. what Dylan said. Dylan made a dream a long time ago. He said, I want to play hockey in college. And okay. He, and he said, I want to play in college and I want to play professionally in Europe. And he said, England would be awesome if I could play there. And, and you know, and so when they have that dream, you can kind of say, okay, this is the long goal so that when you have those small minor setbacks in between, they're not as big when you start looking at the long play, which again was something I had to learn. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Dylan's junior coach, you know, there were two coaches that really, really helped him out. Um, Chris Walby coaches a uh, junior team here in the States. Uh, he was the first one that saw Dylan when he was 14 and 
I still joke to this day, Dylan's nickname, oh, he's going to kill me for saying this, when he was a young player, I used to call him a baby giraffe because that's what he looked like on the ice because he was still growing, he was bigger, and just kind of get the coordination. Um, but his junior coach, Chris Walby, saw something in him that nobody else did and said, you know, with the right training, he can get there. And sure enough, he pushed him along and he got there. Um and then when he came back home to play for a year, he went to play juniors again. And there was another junior coach, Brett Wall, who had seen him play when he first started juniors. And always, you know, this coach was always nice, always had a nice things to say to him. And so the two years that he played under him, that's where Dylan's game took another step. And I remember he used to always tell me, it's a four-year plan. And he would always map it out to say, we've got this season the summer, next season, that following summer. And when he broke it down, you could see it wasn't just from today to tomorrow. It was a plan. And so lo and behold, where we are today is because we could see out that plan. I think that's what more junior players and junior parents have to look at is look at your plan, look at your development, and that's where you want to be. Not necessarily if you know your best friend is playing up in age group that's great for them, but work on your development because the end game is where you're trying to get. And small goals, I think is the way to set it. Instead of, as you said, you, you, it took you a while to learn to not say, right, my boy's going to the NHL. Set achievable goals and then you can work yourself up a path, can't you? Yeah, exactly. And that's truly all it is. And that works as a team as well. I think sometimes teams try to make too big a jump. Kind of know where where you're at. Um, I'm not going to say the top team in the NHL South because I know I'm saying it wrong and I don't want to embarrass myself. Um, but you don't necessarily, you can't really say, Oh, we're going to beat them for the top spot, but you can say if we can advance up to get into second, third place, set ourselves up in the playoffs, then that's something achievable. And then you build off of that. And if you look at it that way, then you do have that progress, but you still use that top team as your kind of like, okay, this is ultimately where we want to be, but we're not going to get there in one season. We've got to build toward that. And I think that's truly important. Absolutely. And you have to do that as an organization as well. Cause I think team GB has done that looking at them from the outside, you can see they've kind of taken the steps to move up one step, you know, keep progressing, keep progressing, keep progressing. Um, so now, how do you do that on all the other levels? Is it because the EIHL has gotten that much better? Is that a correlation to why Team GB has had more success? Or, you know, that's what you have to look at and see. Yeah, I think the Elite League will say that it's probably the... Um, have, I, have I gone into delay? You did You did slightly, but you're back. Yeah. You're perfect. You're yeah. good. <laughs> I can edit that bit out and I'll change my microphone if need be. Um, the elite league will say it's because they have like 15 imports in their rosters. And that's the reason why the small amount of British players in the professional teams are improving at such a rate because they're playing with 14, 15 imports. Um, but there is a couple of national league players that do make that senior GB squad. Um, and you could tell that they progress as well from playing with, with them higher le- level of players but the British players aren't going to get better unless they get time to play in their own league. And right. you know, Liam Kirks don't come along very often. Hmm. 
So yeah, it's it's a little bit it's a little bit frustrating. I can see how the young lads that are playing could probably get frustrated because they want us they want to see a clear path. And at the moment, the the waters are a bit murky. Yeah, and and that's the difficult thing is if each level isn't in agreement of what that path is going to be, then that's where you're going to struggle because you can't sell, okay, get to the national league, but we don't know whether it's going to, how that's going to help you get to the elite league. We just don't know if it's there, Mm. which kind of comes with the Sheffield thing too, is, you know, just on the surface, what I've seen from reading on the outside is if you have that pathway where they say, okay, we can develop these players. And in, in, in theory, if you live in Sheffield as a youngster, maybe as an eight-year-old, you could look at, say, moving from being an eight-year-old to playing for the Elite League Sheffield team. You know, that could be – and you could see that pathway of moving up and up and up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's what other sports have done, and that's how they get, they get them young, they get them in. And they build them up and, and let them come through. Um, so with I was talking about you know youth hockey and building up and college hockey as you have out there. Tell us a bit about your podcast. Uh, so the podcast is called the Junior Hockey Podcast, and we cover um, junior hockey in the states. And so junior hockey consists of in the U.S. There's three tiers. Uh, tier one is uh, the United States Hockey League, the USHL. Uh, that's where a majority of your uh, division one college. So there's two, there's three divisions in college, division one, division two, division three. So division one um, are your major universities, your Michigan, Minnesota, Boston college, Boston university. So that's the top university level. And so the USHL will be a combination of those division one players and then the the U.S. has um, a national team at U17 and U18 level, and those teams play in the United States Hockey League. Um, so that helps develop them. So, you know, your USHL players are the ones that have the potential of being drafted in the NHL. Um, and so then Tier 2 junior hockey is just below that. Uh, there's, uh, two leagues that are, uh, tier two, the NAHL and the, uh, NCDC. Um, and what you're starting to see with those leagues are loosening of import rules because there is that influx of players coming over from Europe. Um, and then you have tier three, um, which is where Dylan played and there's multiple leagues there. Um, and that's typically a pay to play league. The, uh, so USHL, you don't pay anything. That's everything's taken care of. Um, and, and it's good to go. Uh, tier two, you just pay for your billeting um, and all equipment. So it's taken care of. And then tier three is pay to play. Uh, and that varies as far as like standards of off ice and things like that. Uh, so, our league, our podcast talks about those tier, you know, those junior teams and kind of what's going on with them, any interesting stories that are going about. And, you know, each, each week we have a, we, we record every two weeks and we have a team of the week and just kind of talking about the goings on in junior hockey, because the schedules for junior hockey are ridiculous. Um, 
so like the USHL plays, I think, 50-something game schedule. Uh, like last, uh, his last year of juniors, uh, Dylan played, they play a 44-game schedule. But then you get to university and he, their schedule was 23 games. So the college game is, is really different than juniors. It's typically half the number of games uh, you're going to play. Uh, so, is there a difference, uh, junior difference hockey, in the intensity of each league? Yeah, yeah. Uh, tier one is um, it moves. It it's less time on the puck, uh, more skill. Uh, it it it's well. So if you think of like the national team. Um, has players like the Kachuk brothers played on the national team and players Cole Caulfield. So your top player, Zegris, the Hughes brothers all played on the national team. So it's, it's, it's a quick pace, fast pace, um, some physicality to it. Uh, it's fun hockey to watch. And that's one of those cases like here in our USHL team here in town, you can go see players on art that play for the rough riders and play for the other teams. And you get that, Ooh, okay. That kid's going to, you know, that kid's going to be something in the future. And you do actually get to see guys that, you know, play here. And then within two years, they're playing in the NHL. Excellent stuff. That sounds brilliant. It's, I mean, school and college stuff over here, it's just not the same. It's, I, I, I do. I think it's a shame. I think if a lot of sports in this country would progress so much better if they were set up the way they are in America. Yeah. And in college, it's different because uh, division, you have division one, division two, but division two is kind of weird because there's only 10 teams that are in division two hockey and division three. And so division one and division two, you can give out scholarships for hockey, for sports, whereas division three, they don't allow um, uh, scholarships to be given out for sports. But say division three, they have a lot of rules about the uh, number of hours you can train during the week, how many practices you can have during the week, and things such as that. The kind of their their kind of tag is, um, you know, student athlete, you know, with student coming first, so that you know they give time for school. Because you listen, you know, if you hear about some of these American football Division One programs, it's like they're going to school to play football, and if they can sprinkle some classes in on the side, they do that. Yeah, but they kind of do, do most of them still have to keep uh, a level of academic achievement to keep their sporting privileges. Yeah, you still have to keep them uh, maintain a minimum grade point average GPA to be eligible uh, to play sports. So the, the Division Three really makes it so that you have that time to do your studies, to stay on top of it, and make sure that you know the sports isn't overloading. Yeah, excellent, Rod. I've got to tell you, I've absolutely loved this. I've really enjoyed this chat that we've had. It's been sort of all encompassing across the uh, across the world of hockey, and. Uh, yeah, like I said, we're really looking forward to seeing Dylan play. And uh, if Oxford get themselves to the playoff finals, you've got to promise me you're coming over. Oh, mate, I'm already coming over. I'm just waiting for that schedule to come out so yeah. I can link <laughs> it within with a with a couple of uh, Everton matches and some Bath rugby matches. So yeah. <laughs> make it an all sport holiday coming over to England. But yeah, we're looking forward to it. And um, it's you know, like I said, looking at the league, it looks like a very competitive league, uh, which should be a lot of fun. 
Yeah, absolutely. Give me a tinker when you're over here, mate, and I'm sure we'll hook up. Yeah, most likely. You know I will. Excellent. Rod, thank you so much. We'll see you soon. All right. See you. Cheers. A massive thank you to Rod for taking some time out of his day. It's uh, sort of early afternoon over in Iowa, so many thanks uh, again to Rod for taking time out of his day to talk to us. Really interesting stuff, and I'm going to check out that junior hockey podcast as well and find out what is going on across the pond. Well, that's it then. Episode 33 is in the bank, ZPG 2.0. Just keeping the excitement level up and up and up. Uh, So keep following and doing everything that you do. Honestly, I can't believe the feedback and everything I get. It's so good. It really, really makes me feel so good for doing this. So I really do hope that you all enjoy this episode and you're all looking forward to when we come back when the season starts in September. See you next time. This podcast is hosted by Spotify for Podcasters. It is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and anywhere else that you get your podcasts. You can follow on all the social medias. It's at Zero Pucks Given for YouTube and Facebook, at Zero Pucks Given Podcast for Instagram, TikTok, and Threads, at Zero Pucks Pod on X, and Ben Hyde ZPG on Snapchat. Follow us on all of those, and you will not miss a thing. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Podcast Network.